when you learn about these fabrics that don't have longevity are cheaper quality. You start to really think about you know, what's in your closet and what are you contributing to. The whole concept around really letting their team have ownership in a lot of ways, I think that's created this excitement around working for the brand and knowing that you have you know, stake in the game. In the day, we still have to grow and we still are a business. And so I think the tension of that sometimes can be really burdensome. How do I make all this move forward in a healthy way? Welcome to the Beyond Capital Podcast. In our purpose-driven world, leadership is increasingly crucial. We are bringing you the stories of leaders that are marrying profit with purpose. I'm Eva Yazari, CEO of Beyond Capital. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Preciate. Together, we have built and invested in businesses worth millions. We want to show you how social impact can exist in a company's operations, product, and culture sometimes unexpectedly. We hope you walk away knowing the possibilities of social impact for you and feeling inspired by the potential to do good. This is the Beyond Capital Podcast. Today's guest is Desiree Buchanan. Desiree is the founder of Pop Linen, an online collection of eco-friendly, size-inclusive clothing for women. Previously, Desiree was a senior communications manager at the Black Tux and has held positions at Warby Parker and Condé Nast. Welcome, Desiree. It's great to have you today. Thank you. Yes, it's great to be here. A statistic that really stands out to me is that 60% of materials used in fashion production are synthetic, such as polyester and nylon. And these materials are produced from crude oil, and also they're not biodegradable. And this kind of means that there's a reliance on fossil fuels and plastics for, for the world of fashion. What you're doing is really different than that and thinking differently about the materials that go into your products. So through that lens, could you shed light on on your company and what it does? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's exactly a big part of why I started Poplinen. I you know, started to further myself in my career, was able to have more access to choices that I preferred, educating myself around how are these clothes made? What do I want to actually wear? Styles that were more timeless and felt good on my skin. And when you learn about the polyesters of the world and these fabrics that don't have longevity are cheaper quality, you start to really think about, you know, what's in your closet and, and, and what are you contributing to? And so, It was really important to me when starting Poplinen to really focus in on tracing where fabrics are made, how they're made, you know, the impact of of dyes and chemicals on them and and producing them. And, you know, it, it was very clear that there are options out there. There's a lot of technology happening. It's really exciting. You know, it's also newer, newer resources such as Tensile, you have Modal, organic cotton, of course. But those fabrics do make a difference and they are higher quality. They feel great on the skin and they have way less of an impact on the environment than these other, you know, the polyesters of the world. So it was, it was something very important to me from the beginning that we really looked at those fabrics and really chose to create styles around those more natural, you know, fabrics that are going to leave this extremely harmful impact on the environment and are, are better for you. So are you saying that there's actually different styles that are better for these types of materials? I mean, for, for me, it's mostly, it's not that there's maybe better styles, but it, I would certainly say, you know, a tensile fabric goes great with a t-shirt or, a, you know, a sweatshirt, some, you know, something cozy and feels good. 
Um, you can certainly make dresses out of them too. There's a lot of different ways you can drape these fabrics. But, you know, for us, we've really focused, we're, you know, we're a newer company. So we've really focused on really getting the fit down with our first styles that we've made, especially in tops and jackets. It's been something that we're continuing to explore. What I love about Pop Linen is that it has a triple bottom line. You're thinking about profit. You're thinking about people with size inclusivity. And you're thinking about the planet with what we just discussed. Can you unpack the second area, the social aspect, and how you dis- you endeavored to create a brand that was for all sizes? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, for me, it, it really became clear to me when we did our Kickstarter. So I initially launched this as a project. I had always had this itch for pursuing something entrepreneurial on the side. And when I started to do research around what matters to me, certainly fashion and clothing came into it. And the idea of doing something better and offering something of higher quality that was better for the environment. So in in doing that, we launched this Kickstarter. And I talked a lot about wanting to make this for all women, making it accessible to women everywhere. And in that process, a lot of women write back, this is great. This is awesome. This is what we've been thinking about. But are you ever going to offer a more inclusive sizing outside of that extra small to extra large? And that was definitely a aha, like, in your face light bulb moment of absolutely I'm totally not approaching this audience and the more I read and did some research around the average American woman and her body and her sizing we certainly knew right then and there that it was important we extended our sizing and really owned up to creating clothing that was more accessible to women of different body shapes and celebrating that and making sure we have a great fit and that Part of that entailed having two fit models, you know, our contemporary size and then our curvy size, and then also um, making sure for that pattern for a curvy size that the style, as it scaled up, still fit great and looked great and, and, and definitely came across the same way as the other fit. It was an exciting process and journey, and I think we've had very happy customers, and we've built a lot of trust around that with them. I'm a hopeless startup guy. I'm dying to know. Have you always been in like into cl- sewing clothes, making clothes, or was that something that you just came up with one day? You know what? I actually can sew maybe a button, a pillowcase. Okay. I don't have a design background, but it's been something I've always had this kind of personal quest to to define my style and to represent myself and you know communicate my tastes through clothing and I worked in different you know for different brands that really focused on lifestyle okay. or fashion wear or eyewear and I, I loved I loved that and so I kind of just continued to pursue something that felt close to home for me. So okay so you decided to do it you're not a seamstress so that's cool no. I mean I when I started my first software company mm-hmm. people told me you're crazy you've never been in the software business and I was like I don't care I'm gonna do it and yeah. so I love that <laughs> but I'm curious like can you t- just take us through like the so step one was okay I want to start a clothing company what do I do like do I just go and like find someone who can sew or is there like a company or do you just like start drawing stuff on a computer or on a piece of paper and you take it to someone like what how do you get your first garment made yeah I mean all of the above it's it's hilarious I mean I you, you go into this and you wake up one morning you're like all right I'm gonna do this and then the next the, the next thought is okay how and so I definitely utilized a lot of my networks and friends and people you know I live in LA there's a big garment industry close by and I've had friends who either were in the industry or are and just asked around you know where can I get a, 
pattern made? What is a tech pack? Do you know where I can find a fit model? Or, you know, what is the right pricing for having a garment made or a sample made? And, you know, knocking, just going down to the downtown area and knocking on doors, literally, and just asking around like, hey, do you make clothing? Are you a factory? You know, just really just that hands-on gritty, like just talking to people. How much does it cost to have a sample made? Like a, if I want to have like a pair of pants made, Ed's pants. Samples can run from like $30 to make a t-shirt to a hundred to make a pair of jeans. I mean, jeans are expensive. So, and, 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 it, and it varies all over it. it. And people also look at you and if they think you don't know what you're talking about, the price is higher. So you just, <laughs> you have lots of obstacles that are fun to overcome. Well, I'm wondering how sustainability came into this conversation. You were knocking on doors or are probably more traditional fashion and used to working with the typical materials that I mentioned in, in the beginning of the episode. When you started saying, I want to use tensile and probably cotton wasn't that out of the box for them, but maybe even bamboo and linen, what were the reactions? Sustainability has been something that has been around for a bit. And, you know, there's been conversations had, and I definitely had to find those resources, like where were the mills I was going to find or, and honestly, I started in the most obvious places like the LA textile show and just going there and meeting different brands that represented different mills and talking to them and getting them on board with a small company and being able to give me small, you know, amounts of, of fabric to work with and them just either believing in me or feeling sorry for me and being like, okay, we'll give this girl a shot and send her some fabric, you know, it, it being very high quality. And, you know, I just am grateful for the, the Ken doors of the world. You know, they're based out of Canada, but they source a lot of great sustainable materials and really promote that. So that was super helpful. That makes a lot of sense that it is a growing industry. And do you find that you have to balance kind of the sustainability part with the profit making part? Talk to us a little bit more about the cost of making your products to be more environmentally responsible and how that translates into the cost since you, I think you mentioned you wanted your brand to also be accessible. Yeah. I mean, it's such a challenge. It's constantly going into the ring with that, with every new style and and trying to figure out how to make this the most affordable with also sticking to our values around sustainability and being made ethically and paying fair wages. And so it, it is really challenging. And I think we, it really comes down to, fortunately, we're direct to consumer. We don't do really any wholesale. I mean, maybe down the road that would make more sense being bigger, but and having more opportunities. But for now, with making things in LA and paying fair wages and you're paying more like seven to $10 for an item being sewed in production as opposed to maybe like a dollar or less or two, you know, it adds up. But I really just try to figure out how much this is going to cost from that yard of fabric per item per shirt and the cost of labor, including, you know, the cut and sew and the powder making of that style. And then, you know, shipping, packaging, and then just try to, you know, double the cost of that typically to get to our price point, depending on what the style is. And then, you know, selling that directly from our online site or at our pop-ups or any type of craft fair or any other type of like networking event we've been able to do. Typically this year, it's been a more challenging, but the cool side of that is because people are home, people are shopping online more, and we've been around a little bit longer. So our customers are coming back, we're telling their friends. So it's been an exciting year to see growth despite the challenges of the pandemic and you know other obstacles that come with that. 
So are you just like a single proprietor or do you have like partners? Did you raise capital to get yourself going? Great question. I mean, it's something that, you know, I've always been hmm, interested in or trying to educate myself around how people raise money. I've seen, you know, two companies I work for do it successfully. I haven't done that. I've done the Kickstarter. I've used personal money, some friends and family, like alone, more, more likes actually alone, but yeah, it's something that I've been encouraged to do. And I sometimes feel like I'm either waiting for the right time or I'm just scared. I think it's a it's a big undertaking and I really want to understand it before I jump into it. But I definitely can see down the road how that would make sense. We're pursuing a lot of new projects that are really interesting. For example, our scout community, it's a community of our, you know, our favorite fans who love us, who are customers and loyal and also our, you know, our followers who are most engaged and and we ask them if they'd like to host a digital pop-up on Instagram Live or Facebook Live and talk about either the items they own or what they love about the brand. And we jump in on that live with them and talk about our mission and what we're about. And they make a commission off any sales that come from that. So that's been a great way to get in front of new audiences, low risk, but also a lot of work in, in getting that group going. And we're now 13 scouts strong and we've been doing this for about a month. So I think it's an exciting opportunity, especially heading into the holidays, but we're just trying to innovate with, you know, opportunities like that to get the clothing in front of the right people. How many employees do you have? That's a great question. Right now it's me full time. I have my marketing scout leader, who works on the, the scout project full-time. I have an intern who's amazing. We're all working remote and a graphic designer. And then I have my pattern maker too. So none of them are like these like full-time Poplinen employees. They're more like either contractor, consultant, or part-time. So you're in the really early stages. You probably have a contract manufacturer in LA that you work with. Exactly. Yes. I have uh, two factories I work with um, closely, visit them all the time, check in all the time, have a great relationship with them. And they've really taken me on as seeing me grow with them, you know, being excited about how we've been able to, you know, keep going over the last year and loving every step of the way, which is great for me because those relationships really matter and how we've been able to go from these smaller batches to growing our quantities we make. And you mentioned paying fair wages, which is why I was asking about your employees. I see it as another dimension of a more stakeholder-focused model. As you grow, do you envision creating a company culture around the work that you're doing? Do you think it will help you also attract talent to your brand? Yeah, absolutely. I really see the model Eileen Fisher has built as a real North Star with this. I think the whole concept around really letting their their team have ownership in a lot of ways. And I think that's created this excitement around working for the brand, staying loyal to the brand and knowing that you have, you know, stake in the game to continue to, to further its cause mission and quality of products. So that's how I would like to see our company go. I've definitely worked in, you know, company cultures where I thought, wow, there's a lot I'd like to do differently here. I think employees represent so much of the brand and can be some of your biggest advocates in getting it out there. So for me, even doing Poplin and was a big, I looked at it as a big opportunity to do differently what, what I would have wanted to do at other companies I worked at, you know, especially promoting and just championing, you know, people of color, you know, people with totally diverse, you know, opinions and mindsets on things and, and just trying to, to really in, encapsulate more of where I think people are going and what they're interested in and, and not just having 
you know, this like one mindset, you know, I worked in some of these situations that felt a little bit just like out of touch with the way society is and what people care about. And I thought it was a, you know, a missed opportunity, but I also think that, you know, there's a lot going on in, in, in the news right now. And, and you see these companies who've strived for those things, but miss the mark. And it's unfortunate that, you know, they get canceled out or, Hmm. or totally disregarded. I think there's a lot of opportunity for growth. I think we're all learning. I think we all have can reflect. And, you know, I'd really like Poplin in to be a part of that conversation at some point. So everyone who does work with us, you know, diverse, you know, backgrounds, you know, women of color. And it's just something I'm very intentional about when I choose to partner with somebody or, you know, another brand. So this sounds great. Really cool story. But if I could, being the entrepreneur who suffered many indignities, rejections, <laughs> painful events and overcome some of them enough of them i'm curious like what keeps you up at night what worries you the most you know i know you're here you're promoting and it's you know it's a fantastic story but it'd be interesting to just know like you know what are the kinds of things that an entrepreneur like you worries about the dark nights of the soul um (laughs) there's a a plethora of things it could be the immediate thing of is this style going to come out in time but i would say mostly it's just can we stay in this game in the next, you know, three to five years? And how do I make growth happen in these phenomenal ways, but also not compromise like our values around sustainability and inclusivity and, you know, give back. And those things are, are tricky and it's, it really is a juggle. And this is, you know, certainly something that is my first real endeavor. And I'm grateful every day I, in, in the game and, you know, we are growing and we're seeing, you know, wins happen on, you know, different fronts with marketing and, and orders and customers being super happy in their reviews. But at the end of the day, we still have to grow and we still are a business. And so I think the tension of that sometimes can be really burdensome, you know, when you're really thinking about these, how do I make all this move forward in a, in a healthy way? I've seen other companies do it from afar or have worked for one. And that is really cool to see, but they certainly needed a big lift. And I think getting past some of my own hurdles of just personal, like, you know, fears or uncertainties is also a big uh, roadblock or things at night that I think about just like, how do I get past my own, um, you know, fears that can be crippling. Before Eva tees up her next question, I'm going to give you one piece of advice that is handy for when you're doubting yourself. Fake it till you make it. I love that one. That's 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 actually you know, one of mine lot, too. And I really do believe it. Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes it is, you know, it's not that easy when you're trying to be a genuine person. But I think you're totally right. I mean, I see it all the time. And sometimes I feel like I'm doing it and I'm just like, wow, that is hilarious. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah. But um, oh, yeah, learning. It's, it's great advice. Yeah. No, that is a big challenge of like, I think that that's maybe the deepest kind of part of this conversation we might get to today, which is like when you're an authentic person, it's very difficult to be a false promoter. And when I say a false promoter, I just mean like making your, even making your company seem bigger than it is, isn't really authentic. Yeah. And yet you want to seem bigger than you are to your suppliers or to the media or um, other people who might be de- higher, who might be depending on you for their livelihood. And it's a, it's a constant paradox tension pulling you in both of those directions. Like I want to be myself, but then when I, when I am, it seems like sometimes it works against me, you know, and some people who are less genuine seem to do better, you know, um, by fooling people. Uh, Definitely. So, yeah, totally. Very tricky. I don't even, I don't know what the solution is for that. No, you know, though, I think 
you have five companies, so I think there's some success <laughs> there with the fake it till you make it motto. Yeah, well, yeah. I always say in marketing, you know, a little bit of puffery is part of the game, you know. So for sure, um, I think it's it's okay to be, to puff up a little bit when you're on the marketing side of the business. Yeah, definitely. One of my board members and one of our former guests on this podcast uh, likes to say, "You sell the sizzle and not the steak." So very similar, but um, Ed always has wise advice that I often think of much later. (laughs) So um, you bring up the icon, Eileen Fisher. It took her a while to build her business. I think if I recall correctly, she didn't take any capital to build what she's built. Yeah. I mean, isn't that the dream? I mean, she definitely started her company in the seventies, a totally different time period And I don't even think sustainability was really at the forefront at that time. I think it was more about simple clothing, easy silhouettes. But as she grew as an individual and she started to take on challenges happening in the world, so did her company. And I think that was really exciting to kind of evolve over time and see that grow and become a big part of who they are now. But I love that that's how she started. And I think she really struck a chord with a lot of women who are feeling the same way. So, you know, it's definitely something that would be amazing, but it's a different time. And there's a lot of of different things out there. So people have a lot more to choose from. Yeah. Sometimes the decision to take capital is based on a competitive threat. So if there's like a, you know, a a space that you're trying to get into, let's say electric cars and you got to get there, right? You you can't just like take 30 years. So sometimes the competitive landscape really drives that decision. In an apparel business, it's less so because there already is, I mean, it really already is a fairly crowded market. Just, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of companies making clothes. Yeah, by nature. And so there really isn't a sort of a death threat to a business like yours. You can continue to grow steadily and no one really can ever take that away from you. You know, there's, there's mm-hmm. nobody's going to swoop in and, and just like make you obsolete the way that that can happen in a technology business or in other businesses. That path is more available. And I would just say like in terms of taking investors, you know, you for a small business that wants to take investors, once you take them, then you've got to grow, you know, because no investor wants to be a part of a, a small, tiny business. They're investing because right. they think it's going to become a big <laughs> business. They're investing for a mom and, and mom and pop on their portfolio. Right. So, you know, once you take yeah. investors, you, you, you have to be committed to helping them grow their, the value of their investment. Otherwise that would not be a genuine arrangement. Begs a question that's been coming up a lot around the topic of sustainability, which is, shouldn't we just consume less? And I know it could be provocative for you, Desiree, in the business of selling a product to consumers, but how do you view your product alongside you know, a more conscious life? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, I think it's, it is that tension of true sustainability is not buying anything and, you know, really leaving no harm. But the reality is, as humans, we, we consume and we require energy and we have needs and we will need clothing unless we all decide that it's not necessary anymore. But I doubt that will happen. So I think for, for us, what I try to really do is you know, create pieces that are less of like this chasing a trend and more about 
what is going on in the world right now? What do people need? You know, for example, in a time of COVID and people working from home and what are their needs in that and what they wear and what they're doing and, and have and being comfortable, but also feeling good. And, and this is something that no matter what, it'll be something useful to them years down the road. And those are the types of products and clothing I'm trying to create or the just, you know, useful, helpful, something when you're over, it, you can pass down. The next move for us would be to be create, you know, the system and structure to close our loop. So if women were like, you know what, I'm done with that, that long sleeve tee, but you know, there's nothing wrong with it or it just needs sewing on the hem. They could send it back. We could give them a credit or, you know, they could decide to just, you know, be able to donate that. So just trying to create ways that we keep that piece either going or we can then repurpose it into something else would be, is the ideal and the way to go. I think in, in responsibly being able to track with the life cycle of your pieces. So that's how I'm looking at it, you know, for the next phase for us is to really be responsible with these pieces and, and know how to get our customer on board with that journey and taking the time to make that a part of their their life when they purchase it. I think the credit thing is really interesting. I think Patagonia might have done that too, where they have some. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of companies doing that now. And I think it's it's great. I think it's super responsible and, and I think, you know, holds them to a standard that we all should be working from. Yeah. And it also incentivizes durability, Yes, you know, which is my number one criteria in buying a piece of clothes. It's also mark great marketing. You know, I think they do a phenomenal job of living to their values, but also marketing them the way that's super appealing. You know, their black Friday campaign was amazing. You know, don't buy from us, go outside. Yeah. Still marketing, but it's a great message, you know? Yeah. And in addition to being a conscious company and a conscious leader, you're really targeting this conscious consumer for your products. And I think that credit also is intriguing because it's it's almost an education process built in and you're incentivizing your consumer to be more educated about why closing the loop is important. How else are you sharing the story of sustainability with your customers? That's something we're always, you know, looking for new ways to do. Obviously, there's those accessible ways of using your social platforms as kind of like your your PR platforms, like your communications, like every post is a piece of the story of what matters to us and, and what we're pursuing and, and, you know, reflects back to our mission. And utilizing that has been great. I mean, growing your audience now on Instagram or Facebook is a lot different than maybe what it was like five, seven years ago. But it still is a very powerful platform for us to get in front of people and answer questions and engage. I'd also say, you know, just that simple when we're in front of people, I I love going and doing pop-ups or, you know, things like this where I just have an opportunity, a platform to talk about the brand, talk about, you know, why I started this, you know, give some humanity to it and warmth. So it's not just this website page that you show up on. And, you know, those are important opportunities too to share, but it's, it, I always have found that word of mouth and that ability to, to talk to someone about this style and why I made it always turns into a customer who comes back. And that's, you know, really cool to me. Absolutely. So let's get into the rapid fire questions that we have to get to know you even better. Okay. (laughs) Tell us what book is on your nightstand right now? I've had a few because, you know, I'm trying not to watch TV in this time, but I'd say the one that I have up next is, uh, I don't know if it's a newer book, but it's more than a plastic bag. Definitely talks a lot about sustainability, the different stages of living a more sustainable life, like being a beginner, Mm. intermediate, like a master. I love how it breaks it down to like how you can start 
and then how you can work your way into going through your kitchen, your garden, your work. I'm really looking forward to it just because I know it's a daunting subject and people are sometimes, what even does that mean? It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. That is a great recommendation. I'm going to order that, that as soon out. as we get off this yeah, interview. We totally should. Yeah, it's, I'm ready to read it. I just got done with Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. And that was a, that was a really... Okay educational, but, you know, also great novel read about a young black girl's journey in life in America. And so, you know, just trying to really be aware of what's going on in the world, reflect on these different things that matter to me and, and you know, really make sense of it in my own life. So. And what's your go-to beverage in the morning? Coffee, tea, or caffeine-free? Coffee. Definitely coffee. Only one cup because it's just gotten out of hand in the past, but always <laughs> good to start the day and, and turn on with a cup of coffee. <laughs> Yeah, you know, once you're in coffee rehab, you got to be careful. Yes, that's true. Yeah, it's it's very true. <sighs> Name something that is giving you hope right now. Wow, that's thoughtful. I'm not trying to drop a, another like product that we're selling, but something that I really enjoyed in the last couple of days is this new shirt that we did in partnership with Darling Media. It's a company that promotes positive beauty and, and just what it is to be a woman in life today. And they all are about kindness, building a community of women that champion each other. And we did a shirt for them and it has a, a slogan, kind culture. And we put that up and women have just been responding so well to it. And I think that the timeliness of it has been really cool too, because in society right now, you know, the presidential debates and whatnot, there's just so much toxicity and divide and, it, and it, it's, it's heartbreaking. And I think a shirt like that, a message like that is what we need, you know, less of this like cancel culture, more of a kind culture and a reminder, like we do have differences, but we can have a commonality around peace and being you know, part of the United States. So and there's values there that I think we all would align with when you really dig deeper into it. So that's brought me hope of seeing what, how people have responded to that. That really resonates with me. Thank you. What is one trend you're watching in your industry? I'm watching a lot of just the newer technologies happening, even like around mushrooms. I've been reading a lot about how mushrooms are being used for all kinds of things, like from insulation to clothing. What? and how they're able to manipulate it. I mean, I personally don't love mushrooms eating them, but clearly they can do so much more for us. So I'm excited to see how that evolves and what that becomes. Mushroom insulation. Heard yeah. of your first, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Well, I've heard and of packaging material. The packaging, exactly. I've oh, heard of the mushroom packing. You have? Yeah, yes. that's exciting to me because I'm always looking at ways to reduce our packaging. We have a compostable mailer. We use recycled craft paper for our printing, you know, our, our slips and our insert card and I'm just trying to not have more waste in that matter. So mushrooms, I'm like, hmm, let's put that in the back pocket, see what happens with that. How do you unwind? Yeah. After a long day of stressful growing of a business. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty boring. I like to go on like a run or a walk and listen to a podcast. I, I'm big know, on- good um, <laughs> a run is, is good. It lets off a lot of steam, gets you know my thoughts going. I also, I actually, every morning, I mean, this isn't how I wind down, but it's certainly a way to get me, you know, stabilized for the day. I just journal quick seven things I'm grateful for. And that really has helped ground me a lot. So I recommend it. It's just a great way to start the day or end the day. I've never done journaling. Yeah, it can sound a little like, you know, cliche or, I don't know, silly, but it really does help to get some thoughts out. You'd be surprised of what is at the forefront of your mind. 
Yeah, I have never done like the stream of consciousness. I'm sure I could benefit well, from I've, that. <laughs> I've done the stream of, I did one meditation session one time when I went to this, I probably have told Eva this, I went to a conscious capitalism retreat at Esalen over in, in Big Sur. And this oh, was actually cool. the beginning of my of my purpose-driven business whole journey. I've told you this. And we meditated so much. And this one time we meditated where I was outside my body talking to myself 20 years in the future, talking to myself. And Whoa, I, and interesting. I, yeah, and I wrote it all down. And it's, it's still here. It's right in my briefcase right now. Wow. wow. Well, give it a read. <laughs> uh, well, that's for this next time you're on. Uh, okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. No, it's still in here. To and, be continued. Well, there's that's a couple, really cool. there's a couple private things in there. Um, but yeah, it's right here. That's, that's incredible. Awesome. Wow. Yeah. I carry it with me all around the world. Wow. So yeah, that's, I guess that's kind of like a journaling exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Very similar. Normally we ask our guests like, you know, what's your 10 year vision? And I thought in this case, you know, your 10 year vision is probably like, well, I just want to be like still like growing and just getting from where you are to a more mature business. But what for next year, like 2021 is your, is your goal? A year from now, I'm always like, whoa, what could that even look like? Because a year ago when I started, I did not think a pandemic would happen and that we'd be making masks, but here we are. And right. and that actually turned out to be a cool thing that we jumped on. But I would say a year from now, just continually taking risk, continuing to challenge my leadership skills and what I'm willing to do for this company, take that a little bit further and try new things and always just innovation, constantly looking at sustainability and, and innovating what that looks like and not just kind of continuing down a road because it made sense a year ago or two years ago. So I think that's what's important to me is continuing to, to see what innovation we can do and how technology can be a part of, of how we pursue sustainability for the company and for our products and beyond. Yeah, and thank you for illuminating that. I know that the fashion industry, at least on the outside, looks like it, it is collaborating to innovate around fabrics like tensile and Mm -hmm. other even you know fabrics that haven't been developed yet or even all birds creating their wool product and and other innovations around their, their shoes that they're hoping to be open source and that others utilize so i know that's a part of also being a player in this sustainable fashion space as well but i think it's great to see and we can check back in with you to see how it's been going perhaps even in our third season definitely in 2021 and thank you so much for joining us today yeah. best of luck to you you're gonna thank make you. it you're gonna do great oh appreciate it thank you guys so much thanks bye once again it's clear that a business leader with good intentions can create an impressive social environmental and ethical impact there is always a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company and we can all make a difference you've taken the first step by listening to the beyond capital podcast Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate review. And if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at EA Stevens. And follow me on Instagram at Conscious Investor. Until next time. Bye, everyone.